0: Welcome to Mimosas with Hermosa. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Bailey Palmer. My other co-host, Kara Jeffcoat, is on the line. Um, And we have some exciting things to talk about today. Um, I do want to apologize for our last episode, um, the one where I talked about my dating life. Um, For some reason, I was getting a lot of weird feedback in my headphones, and it just didn't sound right. So we think we got our sound figured out. Um, We're in two separate Yeah, we're rookies. We're new here. Be nice. Um, but no, we're really excited. Um, today we're going to talk about our upbringings um, and kind of what shaped us to be who we are. Um, we kind of thought this was important, one, for you guys to relate to us. And, you know, maybe you have similar stories or different stories or something like that. But we also um, we're kind of laying a foundation for some of the subjects that we're going to be talking on later down the road. Um so this is kind of laying out our lives so you can kind of see, oh, that's why this is important to them. Or um, I know Kara's is really excited to get into the Enneagrams. And so a lot of who we are is who we came from and where we came from. So we thought it was important to talk about. So our structure of this, we're kind of going to wing it. I think we'll just kind of grow up together and talk about our you know us growing up in different stages of life and you know some some times that made some impacts on us and people um but I think Kara if you want to start with kind of who your main characters in your story are so like mom dad all that and so when we're talking about it you know who we're talking about right so um when I was
1: five we moved from the Waco area to our current town and um that was predominantly to come and help take care of my grandparents who were getting up in age and needed extra care. So um, we moved away from Waco, and that was with my mom, and my dad, that's Becky and Dennis, and then my sister, Charlotte. And um, at the time, my sister and I are seven years apart, so at the time, uh, she was like an extra parent to me. I guess she's kind of always been that way, but now that we're older, we're a lot closer friends than we used to be like you said on the last episode where it's not really the disciplinarian mom anymore it's more of the friend mom my sister and i are kind of in the same boat now but um dad was a college instructor mom was a high school teacher for many years when we moved and so they continued to keep that job back in the waco area and commuted back and forth together each morning and afternoon for several years, I think up until I was in like the eighth grade. So several years where they still held their lives down in Waco while living here. Um, But yeah, those were the main characters in that story. What about you? Give me your main characters.
0: (laughs) I've got some characters, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) um, I never moved in my life. I grew up in the same house. Um, My parents, I mentioned in the last podcast episode or maybe the one before that. They were high school sweethearts, grew up together. Um, The families knew each other very well. um, And they ended up getting married. But my parents are Wes and Lisa. I call my dad by his first name even to his face. It just it suits him. (laughs) He's a total character. Um, I refer to him to all my friends as Wes. I don't know why. It's not a disrespect thing or anything. He just he is Wes. Um, and my mom's Lisa, and then I've got an older sister, Holly, um, her and I are six years apart in age, but we are seven years apart in school. So we were never at the same school at the same time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, we're a pretty small, immediate family. We've got cousins and aunts and uncles and stuff, but my, my core memories are with those three people. Right. And
1: so you have said in previous episodes that y'all lived in Colorado, in the valley in Colorado, a small community. Did you live there your whole life?
0: My whole life. Same house. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Same house. So my dad grew up, um, I would say it's like three to five miles down the road on the ranch next to the one that they ended up managing. And then my mom grew up on um, the Blue River, which is the opposite side of the town. But she grew up on a ranch over there and then when they got married they moved to the ranch that they now manage um like not very long after their honeymoon (laughs) and so they've been there this year will be 40 years working on the same ranch um they recently built their dream home and moved to that on acreage of their own but that was a year and a half ago so up until that point same house
1: okay so just for texas people when you say ranch what do you find on your ranch
0: so this was an absentee owned ranch so the owners who um, fund the ranch and own everything you know the equipment and all that they are there in the summer because winters are flipping miserable Mm -hmm. (laughs) where I grew up you know 40 below type weather and it's it's miserable so they enjoy the summers there So this ranch is very unique because it was owned by two absentee owners and then they had cows. So that's what my dad ran. He had some of his own cows and then there was the ranch cows. And so they all ran together. There's about 250 cows. And then there was a lot of acreage because up there, these cows need a lot of grass to eat. And since it's basically a high desert, there's not a lot of grass per square foot like there is down here. So there's a ton of acres. There's probably, when it's all said and done, they managed about 6,000 acres. Um, And some of that's forest permit, things like that. So there was land management. There was hay. They put up hay. They ran the cows. But then there was also the Colorado River runs right through the heart of the ranch. And the Colorado River has amazing fishing. Well, the absentee owners love to fish. And so my dad also managed that part of it and they had a fishing club members could pay in Um, they could stay at the ranch and some of the houses that were on the ranch and fish and so my mom and dad managed all of that my mom cleaned all the houses does all the landscaping uh, make sure you know the houses are up to snuff for these people when they come in right so they did all of that plus the cattle thing and like the actual ranching part of that job
1: okay Cool. I just wanted to make sure that your ranch of cattle was the same as our ranch of cattle. So <laughs> yes, we're good yes. there. And so you said, real quick, you said that your mom was raised on a ranch, your dad was raised on an- another ranch. Mm-hmm. Is that a very common thing to just be ranchy there? Or are most people raised on these ranch, these large ranches? Or is this just fake between Wes and Lisa?
0: A little bit of all of the above. Um, probably about a generation of two generations ago, every kid that went to our high school was a ranch kid or, you know, worked on a ranch or something of that nature. And we had a hell of a football team because the kids would work all summer, you know, throwing hay and doing all mm-hmm. that. And, you know, they were athletic and they were mostly ranch kids. I would say probably 80 percent. And as Colorado became more popular, um, there was less family ranches and more of these absentee kind of situations. Um, So my parents, there's a few of our friends that still have family ranches that they run, but my parents ended up on an absentee ranch. They don't um, do their own. I mean, they do their own stuff, but they don't own their own ranch. Um, And a lot of other locals actually ended up in the same situation. There was a kid that worked for my dad. Um, that he actually ended up on an absentee owned ranch. And, and then there was another kid that worked for my dad, same thing. So I think the family ranching is way less common and now they're just big powerhouse absentee owned. Um, so my situation was in the midst of becoming really unique as I was growing up. Does that make sense? Cool.
1: Cool. Yeah. So your town, you said was tiny and I have similar upbringing as far as town goes. (laughs) I think my town Most of my life has had less than a thousand people in it. Um, and so we moved from the Waco area. I don't really have many memories in Waco, but, um, just like a handful. And then we moved here my kindergarten year. And, um, all of a sudden I went from a school that just had the elementary under one roof or maybe just the first four grades to our school that has pre-K through 12th under one roof. Yep. Um, so I wasn't really around to see how big of an adjustment that was. But as I grew up and started making friends outside of the school district, it was very clear that I was in a very tiny town. And now that I'm raising my kids in the same town, I love it. I love it for my kids. I love that I can say, your teacher was a year younger than me and we went to school together. We went to church together. It was. It's just cool now to be able to look back on that and say, yeah, same family, same people. I know her mom. I went to school with her mom, your friend, you know, his dad was in my class, whatever. So that's been really cool for me.
0: Um, Is that your favorite part of being in the small town?
1: Yeah, I think so. There's camaraderie. There's a family feeling. I don't feel like my kids are in near as much danger as I would in a larger city. Um Although I know danger follows us anywhere. I, I don't really worry about that as much in a smaller town.
0: Yeah, because everybody's looking out for your kids because they're Kara's kids. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. I get it. So when your parents stopped commuting, did that shift anything in your day to day? Because that's a big commute every single day. So my parents
1: ended up adopting my, I say adopting, basically adopting my three nephews. Um, I have three nephews out of my brother. I didn't really mention him earlier. He's 10 years older than me. So he was grown and gone really by the time I started to have recollection and memories. Um, So he kind of got down the wrong path. And we ended up taking his three boys in with us about my eighth grade year. And that was really the reason why my mom retired from teaching so that she could become full caretaker for them. And we got them when they were, strangely enough, there's an older one and there's a set of twin boys. And so it's three boys. And we got them when they were four and two and currently they're 19 and 17. So we've definitely manned it. Throughout all those years, and one of them has already graduated. The other two will graduate this year, and we've been really proud um, of what's come of that situation and how we've kind of banded together and made relationships better throughout the process. And so that was a definite change for me. My dad continued to commute um, well after my mom retired, but he did it on his own. And then a few years later, he ended up retiring from that job, beginning another job. My dad has exhibited a work ethic unlike anyone I've ever seen. He knew that we needed to put food on the table for not only his kids, but now his grandkids. And so he worked tirelessly well beyond the age that he ever expected to work for several different people. I don't even know how many different jobs he'd had, but I know he had different plans for his life and I know that those plans were not to raise children for, you know, 40 years. And he's finishing up the second round of kids now at age 71 and he's been raising kids for 40 years. So, um, so dad definitely instilled work ethic mom as well. I mean, always, she was a dedicated school teacher. She worked for a district that wasn't always great and she had to split up a bunch of girl fights and get involved in some things that she didn't necessarily wanted to be a part of, um, didn't necessarily want to be a part of. And, um, she definitely showed me that there's a plan for everything. If you just kind of buckle down and handle it, get, get your stuff done and trust that there's a greater plan for you. Um, she was always faithful to whatever it was in front of her. She was very dedicated and devoted. Um, So when she came home from teaching, it was very clear that that shifted for her. And now the dedication and devotion was to make sure that we raised these boys up in a godly and caring and healthy home. Um, And we kind of banded together during that time and said, we're all going to stay as close to home as we can to try to get these boys raised. And I was in eighth grade at the time, so hadn't even really began thinking about college or anything after high school but I we all felt that urge that um I would definitely consider it a divine urge that this was our duty as their aunts and their grandparents that we were going to take this on and that was a big shift for all of us but we definitely grew as a family unit and banded together to to make this the best outcome that we could together so
0: Kara would we have our conversations or whatever, um, you know, in the podcast or outside of the podcast, you mentioned church and your faith a lot is, was that a part of your upbringing? Like, were you guys, how did that dynamic come into play?
1: Absolutely. Uh, some of my earliest memories are centered around church. Uh, Jesus has been a part of my life from before I was in the womb. My parents were told that they couldn't have children. And so they adopted my brother at 12 days old, they had my sister unexpectedly, what, three years later, and then had a loss between my sister and I, and I was born when my parents were 40, and that was so prayed for, so unexpected. I think after so much time of infertility, my parents thought this is just what God has for us, and, and this isn't going to come again. We're not going to get another opportunity for this, and so... Um, I've been told all of my life that I was so heavily prayed for, not only for my by my parents, but by everyone in their communities, whether it be their church or their work or um, actual people in our communities. They um, prayed feverishly for me. And so um, I don't know if that – I'm sure – I know that it has a lot to do with the outlook that I have on life, the outlook that we've been – my sister and I have been given – to have on life, that every day is a blessing, um, where I've told you in previous episodes that we're all very active in our church. My dad plays the guitar, my sister and I sing. My mom has been a pianist in the past. She's kind of retired from that now. She's an existing church secretary for our church, and my dad is a deacon, and so um, I was raised in the church. Whether the doors were unlocked or not, we had the key, and we would go anytime we needed to, Um, I don't know, honestly, how people get through trials and tribulations in their life without a church family. And I definitely don't know how they get through it without Jesus. Um, I could stand on a pulpit, literal pulpit and preach for days about how important this is to me and how much of a difference he has made in my life and my family's life. But if you look in the eyes of my nephews who almost didn't have a shot. I mean, it was it was not good. And um, the twins born premature and just struggles from the, their very birth on. You look how God has kind of like laced his plan all throughout their adolescence and, and um, teenage years and how my sister and I both went off to college during those years and how the everything just seemed to be paid for everything. There was just enough to get by. In some cases it was very scary. And my parents didn't really divulge any of that to us. Now that I have a family and job and all of that, and I, I can think about finances for my own family, I can imagine how stressful that would be. But uh, my parents were very devoted to their faith and they still are. And um, very devoted to their church. And God provided through every single facet of our lives exactly what we needed at the right time. And so I look in the eyes of my nephews and I know for sure that there, A, is a God, B, he's still on the throne, and C, I can't ever question his faithfulness or his devotion to all of us in our lives. Um, So I digress, but yes, (laughs) Jesus has been a huge part of my life all the way through, and he's
0: just been so good to our family. That's in quite the story. I mean, I knew parts of that, but that's such a cool story. Yeah. Um, what was it like bringing those brothers in? Um, so
1: I, my funniest memories, um, I was the only kid left in the house at the time. My sister had already gone off to college. And so their bedroom was next to mine. And because... This was very spur of the moment where they then were living with us. Some church like I said, I don't know how you get through trials and tribulations without your church family. They took donation and either I can't remember if they made the bunk beds or if they um, ordered them, but they all kind of banded together and purchased these bunk beds for the boys to sleep in and the twins were two so they could still sleep in one bed together. But, but before that, in the interim between the day they came to us and the time when we got the bunk beds, we would put them in a queen bed together sideways. And that was their bed and they learned to sleep together. And, um, some of my most annoying and funny memories of them was waking up, being woken up each morning with Thomas, the train wooden train tracks thrown against my (laughs) wall. And that was the way that I woke up each morning. And I don't know if it was they want me to play with them or they just have no respect for anybody else in the house. But that was the wake up alarm each morning. And it didn't matter what time they were throwing those things against the wall. And so it was an adjustment for all of us. There's diapers and there's baby food and there's milk. And there's, I mean, there's just, we had um, a few months where, the main focus was to fatten them up as much as we could. Um, I I said that it wasn't very good when they came to us and it wasn't, they weren't um, healthy babies. And so we watched them plump up like the cutest little kids. And it brought us so much joy that they were eating, they were actively eating and they were engaging in conversation with us and where their eyes, eyes didn't look, so bright before they looked a lot brighter now. And so, um, it was a really fun transition. There was definitely growing pains. It has been a very, very hard process, but as I said, God provided a way for all of it all the way through. And so it, the adjustment and the pains were totally worth it.
0: Love it. I think that's where you get a lot of your mothering style too, is like, you've been a caretaker for so long, you kind of moved into that role with ease because you've done it. Yeah. Everybody said,
1: whenever I got pregnant with twins, like you've already done this once, this can't be that terrifying. And (laughs) it still was very terrifying, but I think it definitely helped. We were all kind of trained how to function under pressure and this kid's crying for this and this kid's crying for this. And now I have three of my own and they all do that now. So it doesn't get much easier, but there was a sort of training provided for me at an early age.
0: A 101 class, if you Yes, know. exactly. <laughs> so you went to Bremond High School. Yes. yes. So at this point, you know your classmates, you've grown up with them. Um, what was high school like for Kara?
1: High school. I was into sports. Um mm-hmm. I wasn't very good at anything. Okay, let's be honest. My sister was a standout athlete in my mind. And in a lot of the other people's minds, she ended up going to college, she played select softball all the way through school. She went to college to play softball. She was a rock star at what she did. And so um, I think there was kind of a pressure of me to somehow perform at the same level or near that level. But I just don't have it in me. And um, I was really okay. I finally, I guess, maybe senior year, she was actually my softball coach my senior year. And that was a strange thing for me. It was it was enjoyable. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. But um, I it kind of slapped me in the face that, okay, she's so good. And I love doing this because it's fun for me, but I'm just not great at it. There was never any intention of me playing college ball or anything like that. Um, I had my sights on being a teacher and I went through a hundred different occupations, my senior year, trying to figure out what I wanted to be and who I was. And actually none of them were sales. So, um, (laughs) none of them stuck but I do have the teaching degree. And so, um, you know, I'm not interested in using it. I think I've already said that once. I'll say it every episode if you want me to, but I'm just not (laughs) interested
0: in choosing it. I do want to come back to something that you said, because this is something that we have in common that I don't think either of us knew that we had in common. So my sister was also a star athlete. Um, Volleyball was her game um she also played basketball ran track did the whole nines but volleyball was her specialty she went to school to play volleyball etc cetera, etc cetera. well we are far enough in age that she graduated college and needed an interim job and she ended up being my coach my senior year whoa we've never talked about this i know so let's 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 dig in okay. so small towns your sister comes back and is your coach like, what happens?
1: I think your, I think your immediate reaction as somebody who's not the sisters would think she's going to get preferential treatment, she's going to play more than my kid, but
0: if Mm -hmm. you're not
1: very good at it, that's not really up for discussion, so (laughs) in small towns, and I'm sure in large cities, the competitiveness is what drives, and so it really wasn't ever going to be a factor that I was going to play more than anybody else because of who the coach was. That wasn't ever going to happen. So I didn't really run into that. Nobody felt threatened by their position because Kara's sister's the coach. Um, And I guess that was a relief. I had a lot of fun. She and I were close at that time anyway. Um, She had finished college obviously and come back home. And so there were times when I would go stay with her. We, we were really close. And so it didn't bring any, it didn't bring any hardships, I don't think. Um, it was just cool. It was cool to be on her team. It was cool that we were both working towards the same goal. Um, and it wasn't necessarily in the family. We hadn't had a lot of family time. And obviously we could, we had talked for days about all the things going on at home at the time. And so we were able to separate that and just kind of have fun with softball. And I don't know, maybe she has a different story about growing pains and trials, but I don't I don't remember any of them. So
0: maybe it was all great. Let's just say it was all great. What about yours? <laughs> so let me start by correcting myself. It might've been my junior year because it had to be because of the story I'm about to tell. So junior year, um, I was on the line. I was a smart volleyball player. So I was a setter, which is like kind of the quarterback of the team. Like I knew like what to read and what to look for, but I didn't have the athleticness to follow it necessarily. Um, So I was on the line of varsity and JV basically. And I played both. Like I played a lot in the JV game and then I would sit the bench a lot in the varsity games. (laughs) And so It got pretty intense for a while because small town politics are king. And, you know, we've got, I had a different volleyball coach for every year that I played um, because our town just ran them off. And if you're from my town and listening to this, sorry if this offends you. But the political game in West Grand is fierce. I mean, it is something fierce. If they. If somebody new comes in and they do something that, you know, the quote unquote founding families don't appreciate, you're going to be gone in six months. So wait, it wasn't necessarily that they didn't have a winning streak. It was their actions. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So Holly, my sister, had a really good coaching approach. I mean, she's still a coach to this day. So obviously she's good coach. She's a hell of a coach. Um, but, you know you come back to your high school that you graduated from and you were a star volleyball player at and people's feathers get ruffled pretty quick. And so when the star players at like in my era started getting lazy and weren't playing well, she'd pull them out. I mean, she'd bench them so hard and, you know, give a freshman their spot who wanted it and, you know, wanted to work for it, which is the way it's supposed to be. But, you know, cause they've got a last name behind them. It, ruffled some feathers and so you know we got through that season and you know we we went far i mean further than we've gone in a lot of years and you know we were we started playing well well you know it did cause some rifts between me and some of the girls that i played with which looking back now i mean we're not even friends now so it really didn't matter long term but you know it it did ruffle some feathers and you know I will stand on my soapbox and say Holly is a hell of a coach, but she was aggressive and she was different and she was new and that scared people. Mm. And so she got ousted basically. Um, It, it split the town up of like team Palmer or team somebody else. Right. Mm. So, you know, the, the, Brattiest of families ousted her so she was like you know what I don't even need to fight for this like I don't want to fight for a job where people don't want me and you know people were fighting for her but they understood like why would somebody want to be somewhere where half the people don't even want them and so she said screw it and she went to our rival team they were looking for a coach and they saw what she did with us and she actually went to our rival team and was their head coach and so that got really interesting, really fast. Um, You know, my homecoming game, we played them. And so by that time I was playing full-time varsity, finally got my poop in a group and, you know, kind of became an athlete and um, I was playing full-time varsity and it was homecoming game. And of course my parents are there, you know, our, our rival teams, families are all there rooting for Holly and it was, it was weird. <laughs> I felt like it was like Eli versus Peyton Manning, you know, like <laughs> your parents are cheering for both. Like they just want you to both to have a good time and right. get out of this alive. Um, so that was, that was a really a big learning experience for me because not only did we play them for homecoming, but then we played them again. Um, Cause we basically played every team twice, like once at their place, once at our place. Right. And then we had to play them in districts. <laughs> that was miserable. So it was really awkward, you know, like they do the intros, you know, your starting lineup, Bailey Palmer, and then you go over and shake the other coach's hand. And, you know, I just went over there and we just had a big bear hug and the whole audience just erupted. Oh my and gosh. you know, it was intense and like, you know, I would serve an ace and like get a point and you could see my sister like wanting to be <laughs> you know, jumping off the bench for me, but she's like, well, I'm on this other team. And so it was, it was weird, weird time in my life. Um, you know, they caused so much turmoil the year before. And then here's this new coach that came in from Nebraska, I think. And, you know, she knows that I'm in a weird spot like it was one of those things that she sat me down and said do you want to play this game I said you better play me this game because I'm never going to play better than I will with my sister on the other side of that um (laughs) we're seven years apart but I'm still gonna whoop her (laughs) yeah so it was it was really intense and you know looking back like high school obviously shapes a lot of who you are but looking back in the grand scheme of things, like, I'm so glad she got out. And I'm so glad she did that other move, because that's leather led her to where she is now. And, you know, she loves her job. And people love her as a coach. And, you know, she's been coaching at the same school for Holly, I'm sorry, if I get this number wrong, but like eight years or something, like, obviously, she's doing something right. And like a lot of her, yeah, like a lot of her kids that she coached, call her after they graduate and said coach like you made such an impact on me and stuff and so it sucks for my school that they let something like that go but you know at the end of the day I haven't walked in that gym since I graduated so I really don't care
1: <laughs> their loss is someone else's gain.
0: exactly That's so it how- all works out the way it's supposed to is just whew, it was real intense and then you know at one game like the second time we played them we were in at their home court and um you know they do the intro of the starters and whatever and usually the opposing side claps a couple times just to show good sportsmanship and they announced my name and I started bawling because everybody in their stands stood up and clapped for me oh my gosh and you know that still Ripped goes to show your heart me. Out. yeah like that just goes to show the impact that Holly made on that team so it was uh, a unique situation but I'm kind of glad we kind of have that sister coach thing in common that's cool that's super cool so tell me what it was like
1: um, being raised by Wes and Lisa we've had a lot of discussions about (laughs) who Wes and Lisa are and Wes's story and Lisa's story separately but tell me what it was like being raised by them Um, At home, both adolescent
0: and teenage years. I'm going to start by saying that I was a good kid. Like I was too good. I never did anything outside of my comfort zone. And so they never really worried about me necessarily. And so they pushed me really hard. I was really good at school, um, you know. And so my mom here's the thing about wes and lisa if you're not good at something or you don't enjoy it they're not going to make you do it it's not like they forced me into sports that i didn't enjoy it's like hey i have an interest in soccer okay go play soccer you know what guys i despise soccer all right well we're not going to do that but when we did get into something that we really liked like we were big into cattle showing and pig showing Mm -hmm. and when we (laughs) the Palmers as a unit when we get into something we're doing it right or we're not doing it at all whatsoever (laughs) and um which really I mean now that you know me it probably makes a lot of sense but (laughs) but um you know Wes was the best at what he did you know he um He struggled in school because he was dyslexic. He was he's the smartest guy I know, like bar none, the most intelligent man I've ever met. But when it came to school at that time, they didn't recognize what dyslexia was. And so he got held back was either in the first or second grade. And so he was a year older than my mom. So at that time, he retook that grade and ended up being the same grade as my mom. And so they literally grew up together from the start. As fate would have it. Right, of course. And, and, and the cool thing is, is, you know, they weren't together the whole time. You know, they did date other people and they did, you know, go their separate ways and do their own things. And then life had it where they came back together. But, you know, my dad was the best. He was on the U.S. ski team. He um, ski jumped. He coached ski jumping and steamboat. He went to exactly. horseshoe.
1: So what happens during Olympic season with your dad?
0: It's like he is critiquing every single ski jumper. On of that course home. he is. <laughs> course. It's very intense in our house. He's like you know what this ski jumping program is just not what it used to be and it's like <laughs> I believe you but I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I would
1: call him Uncle Rico but he
0: actually has like serious success stories so I can't even do that. <laughs> yeah, He's wild but you know, he, he went to horseshoeing school because trade was his key to life. You know, he can do anything he wanted mm-hmm. to. So, he went to horseshoeing school and graduated horseshoeing school the same day he graduated high school. And then he went and made a bunch of money shoeing horses with his partner, Gene Oliver. And and then, like, he's lived such a wild life. Like, every time I talk to him, there's something else he's done that I'm like, when did you have time to do this? Um. <laughs> And, you know, his dad was pretty tough on him. You know, he made him a badass. Like, he would drop him off on one side of the mountain and say, All right, Wes, I'll see you in four days, and pick him up on the other side and hope he was all right. I mean, in a time oh when God. there was no cell phones, no nothing. And so, like, my dad's tough as nails, but like, he has the kindest soul, but he's competitive, obviously. Um, you know, he was a imagine, Can't imagine giving birth to a Bailey and being competitive. <laughs> I know I know and you know he was a bull rider too and um, you know he built houses and he's a general contractor and honestly that man could like do anything and I I wouldn't be surprised that he was good at it but he's a student of life too you know he studies how to do things before he does them so he knows he's gonna he sets himself up for success and that's what they did with us and my mom is a grinder I mean she works her ass off all day every day takes care of everybody gets it all done and like you know Wes is the the entertainer and the face of the Palmer clan but my mom is like the nuts and bolts of what who we are the reason um, everything happens yeah yeah she's she's a badass and um you know they're just a dynamic duo and so when we decide to do projects it's not like a half ass thing so I decided I wanted to get in the show pigs and so we got into show pigs i mean wes owns a sawmill and so he went out and like he cut boards and got rubber mats and did the whole mines and like made our cattle barn into a pig barn and like we would be in there and of course like it's freaking cold where i'm from so like he put a new stove in the shop in the barn and made sure it was warm enough and had heaters and you know we had all the best pig feed and all that and like, we got after it, and we did futurities and show clinics and all that. Well, our first run out of the gate, you know, pig showing seems easy when you're in middle school. Like, you just drive the pig around. It's not a big deal. Not so, with the Palmers, I can imagine. Not with the Palmers, and we didn't know that at the time. We did not know I didn't have a skill for showing pigs at that time. <laughs> so, we go to State Fair, and we have a hell of a pig, and it's a big deal at Caro State Fair to make the sale. It means you did some good. So we go and, you know, we show up and we think we're doing it right. And, you know, we're, we're very serious. We've got a mentor that knows what he's doing and he's like taking care of us. And so it's time to go into the ring and I blow it. I completely blow it. Like I got lost in a sea of pigs. Like this is a big time (laughs) show. And I'm just like riding the fence with my pig. The judge never even saw her. Like I'm just dilly dallying around in the ring. (laughs) And just get burnt. I mean, like, didn't even blast in the ring for more than five minutes. And so the pig gets on the truck. Because if you don't make the sale, well, you're going to the sale barn. So um, Wes finds me on my way out. And it was the scariest moment of my entire life. Like, I was fearful for anything at that point. I mean, it wasn't like yelling. It was like, Bailey, we did all this work. We went and got you the best pigs we could find. We've all killed ourselves for this. And you just go out there and that's what you do. I mean, like, it it was like a four or five hour, like, lecture. And like, if you're going to be good at something, you better be good at something. Like, you know, this is, if you're going to be this, you're going to be the best at it. And if you don't want to be it, then let's get out now while we can. And So that, one, it scared me for about four or five days to, like, talk to my dad. But then after that, I mean... It lit a fire. Holy cow. So then I'm, I'm like, we're doing it. I'm gunning for it. Let's go. So we like go across the whole country, find the best pigs that we can. I mean, we are ready to roll. And I like work on my showmanship and I watch videos and I figure it out. And we walked our pigs every single day. I mean, it got obsessive. And um, we go to the state fair the next year. And I had a hell of a pig who we named him Tom Tom because the guy that we bought him from was named Tom. Very, can't imagine. very original and creative. <laughs> so Tom Tom and I are in the waiting little pen there. Our class is going in next. And this kid next to me, it was like a jockey for some reason, started whipping my pig. And I was not into it. And so, like, I, like, corner myself. Me and my pig are in the zone. Like, I'm like, this kid is a jerk. I'm going to rub his nose in this when we get through this class. So, they open the gate. The pig's run out. My pig is, like, in the zone. Like, glides out there. We've practiced this, I don't know how many times. Like, he's on it. And I am on it. And that judge saw it every single angle of that pig there was no way he was not gonna put me in a pin so he put me in a pin and usually when they pin you they pin you one through ten and then they pull out the top five or however many the judge wants to reevaluate and then pick your top five right i was in the ninth hole like i drove this pig this class lasted i don't know 45 minutes like i drove this pig into the ground i was in the ninth hole the judge picks out one two three and four comes all the way down to me and pulls me out. And I see my dad out of the corner of my eye and like, I don't know if he was about to have a heart attack (laughs) or what, but like he's sweating bullets. And I'm like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this. And so I'm like game on. And so I like, you know, get my pig around this guy. I mean, this guy can't look at another pig without seeing my pig. And I was so into it. And he evaluated and evaluated and evaluated. Finally, he went up and got the mic. He's like, guys, I don't know if any of you are watching, but this girl right here is a hell of a showman. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, cry! We won the class. We made the sale like. All bets were off like we we weren't planning on making the sale because while we're very competitive and want to be the best, we're also very humble. So we didn't plan on making the sale. Well, making the sale means you have to stay an extra three days. So we had to go buy new clothes. We had to extend our hotel room. We had to call my teachers that I wasn't coming back. Like, we were all shocked. And like at state fair, there was concerts and all that. And dad's like, hey, we're done. Like, let's go. So we went to concerts. And it was like the time of my life. And from that moment on, I knew my dad was never going to misguide me in anything And I knew that if I was going to do it, I was going to be the best. And that has trickled over to literally every element of my life.
1: That's awesome that he
0: pushed you, saw the
1: potential and didn't just say, you know what, let's just get out of it. Yeah. And that, like, you you said this, but lit a fire under you to be better and, and prove a point. And where did the jockey
0: end up? The what? The jockey. Where did the jockey end up? Oh, he was bottom of the class. He didn't even get pinned. He got a big old stripe on his back to go on the sale truck. Of course. Of course he was. So, yeah. I mean, and that's that's a very West-oriented story. But, like, you know, my mom's the same way. Like, if you're going to do it, you're going to be the best. And, you know, she does real estate and she is so talented and, like, knows so much and is so knowledgeable and studies and, like, wants to be the best. And so... You know, it's very competitive, but also, like, the amount of humility that they have blows my mind. And that's something that, you know, I'm still trying to tell myself is, like, be the best, but be humble. Because Mm -hmm. nobody likes a a loud winner. (laughs) I think that's where these two
1: stories collide. And the be the best, but be humble. Like, uh, I've kind of seen with the story I've told about my nephews and you know, where all this began, I've kind of seen what it could be. And so we've been raised both you and I to be thankful for every single moment and every opportunity that's been given to us and every person who's seen potential in us, um, every person who's valued both our opinion, our presence given us a seat at the table that, that we didn't necessarily expect to get, um, So that's really cool that these two stories kind of collide. Um, Yeah. As you've you've already said in the past that your mom is more of a friend now than a disciplinarian. Has that changed with your dad too? Or have y'all always kind of had the same
0: relationship? So my, okay. So my mom was very, very tough when it came to schoolwork because she knew that I was capable of getting straight A's and being the valedictorian and doing all this. So she was... She was a tiger mom when it came to academics. And, you know, I think if I didn't have a knack for it, if I wasn't good at it, she wouldn't have pushed me as hard. But she knew that I was capable and she knew that I could do a lot if I did well in school. And so Mm -hmm. she was tough on that side. And my dad was tough on the extracurriculars. Like, if you're going to show steers, you're going to be in that barn as many hours as it takes to get the hair broke and get them fed and do all that. If you're going to play volleyball, you're going to go train in the summer. You're going to go lift weights. You're going to do this. So, like, together, you know, they were creating a complete person, basically, you know, where if it's not something you have a knack for, if it's not something you're passionate about, by no means don't do it. Like, we're good. You don't have to do it. But if you are, you better do it.
1: You better work hard. Yeah.
0: You better work hard. And so, you know, having that growing up was a little intimidating because like you were always wanting to impress them and do your best and prove a point. And now the relationship has shifted where I'm trying to do the best for me because they instilled that drive. And so now, you know, they've lived their life. They've raised their kids. They've worked their entire lives. They've saved, they've done everything right. And so now they want to enjoy it and they want to enjoy their kids and they want to enjoy basically the fruits of their labor and I'm best friends with both of my parents now that doesn't mean that like sometimes they're like Bailey what the hell are you doing or right um you know I call them for advice basically daily and so they still have that parenting aspect as far as that goes but like my idea of a vacation is going home to see them and be with them and hang out with them and go fishing with my dad and go for walks with my mom and stuff like that like that's a dream to me because they have shifted into my friends and my like companions really right I love that you said that um basically like it's not always rosy
1: um and there, you there are disagreements I think that's something that we definitely should hit on um I my parents are Uh, not necessarily opinionated, but they have very strict viewpoints on a lot of different things. So as you can imagine, being raised in the church, um, alcohol was not allowed over the threshold of the door. And so um, I think I, I so respect the position that my parents took as young parents, that they didn't want that in their life, my dad was a drinker before and kind of had kind of been raised around it. and I'm sure had plenty of opportunities to try it, see the effects of it. Um, but as soon as they brought my brother home, they decided that all of that was going to go away and that he wasn't going to smoke cigarettes anymore. And there wasn't going to be any alcohol in the home. And um, we were, we would all be raised in a very, um, I guess, dry home. And so I definitely see now that Whereas I was raised all of my life to think that's like the devil and it is, it absolutely is and can be when it's misused. I think it's cool now that they can trust that I can make those decisions and go out and, and have a good time, but not get like that, like not get out of control and dangerous and ridiculous. Um, I definitely... I'm not that person that goes out and just blows and goes on alcohol. But um, (laughs) I so appreciate the raising that they gave me to have that perspective. Was it strict? Absolutely. Was it sometimes like, sometimes felt like it was overly strict? Yes. Um, I just think it's cool now that we get to have different viewpoints on things. And I can have educated conversations with my parents and say, I'm now old enough to have my own opinions, I'm doing the research, I'm reading and um, learning about all these different current events and things that are happening and here's my opinion. And it doesn't necessarily have to match theirs, but we have the respect now um, that we're older where we can say, here's what I think about this situation and they can say, and here's what I think about the situation and it doesn't have to agree. You can agree to disagree, you can learn from each other's opinions you can know where each other sit on an issue and there aren't any hard feelings. And so having that relationship with my parents, and I'm sure you have the same one with Wes and Lisa, is that it's just really cool that you have that freedom to express yourself in your own way and sometimes know that that's not necessarily approved, but they're letting you be your own person and have Absolutely. your
0: own. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to let me get in a bind by any means for sure. And they, they, I guess I should rephrase that. They do let me get in binds, but ones that I can get myself out of because there's a lesson there or there's an opportunity there. Um, And then they help me navigate getting out of said bind, but they're never going to put me in a situation. And something that my dad said when I was young has always stuck with me. And I say it to my friends now um you know we were snowmobiling and I am not a snowmobiler which sounds so stupid but I hate it it's a lot of work um I get stuck all the time I just I don't enjoy it I don't like the gold etc cetera, etc cetera. the reasons I hate snowmobiling goes on forever <laughs> but we, we were um we were snowmobiling and of course like my dad's very very talented at snowmobiling which for southerners like There is a skill and an athleticism to snowmobiling if you do it correctly. Like, it's not just, like, bebopping across the flat. Like, there's climbing mountains and all that. But anyways, so we were all on a family trip or whatever, and I buried my sled. We call snowmobiles sleds. I buried it. And so Wes had to turn around, come back, and get me out once again. And, you know, I I was just fed up. Like, I was emotional. I was sick of it. I thought I was going to get eaten by a mountain lion. I didn't want to go off the hill like he did because it scared me. And I was just, I was over it. And he looked me dead in the eye. I don't know if he'd remember this or not, but I obviously do. He looked me dead in the eye and he said, Bales, I am never going to put you in a situation that I can't get you out of or you can't get yourself out of. I am never going to put you in a situation that is going to harm you. And from that day on, I would follow that man off the edge of a cliff. That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. That's kind of your whole hope as a parent that A, you would have those instincts to know your key number one protector, and B, that your kids would trust you with that duty and mm-hmm. not, and maybe be nervous and have their own emotional breakdowns about the situation, but ultimately have an overwhelming trust that you're going to take care of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely have that too. Um,
0: Kara, I think this should be part one. Obviously, we're on a really good roll. So we're going to roll right into part two. But I do want to break this up a little bit just so one, the recording processes correctly and also publishes fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So cheers to part one. But I will see you in part two. And we'll continue this awesome conversation. See you later, guys.